Hello, I'm Amber Athey, The Spectator's Washington editor, and I'm here to encourage you to subscribe to The Spectator's American edition. If you visit spectator.us forward slash subscribe, you can get our print and digital edition for just $7.99 a month. This means you get unlimited access to our amazing website and we'll send you a beautiful 80-page monthly magazine. You'll also have access to our mobile app. Subscribe now at spectator.us forward slash subscribe. You won't regret it. Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American politics and now the Joe Biden presidency. We will be looking at how a 78-year-old president will change America and we'll be asking if normalcy which is what he promised to bring, has returned to American politics? The answer, of course, is no. I'm joined today by Michael Wolfe, who is a great journalist and the author of a number of books, including most recently a trilogy of Trump books. There was Fire and Fury, which was an international bestseller. There was Siege. And finally, there is Landslide, the final days of the Trump presidency, which is out now. Michael, I've just read it. It's a very exciting book. I think it's the best of the three, actually, because um, the denouement is so insane. And it reminded me of something I think uh, we spoke about before when you came on this podcast, which is that I think you cottoned on very early in in about 2016, 2015, that the journalists were missing the key element of the Trump story, which was that it's just a brilliant, brilliant story and that they were so busy clutching pearls and worrying about the future of democracy and sort of virtue signalling, to use an overused word, that they weren't doing their job properly. And you obviously saw an opening to do your job, and and you took it. Is that a fair thing to say? Um, Yeah, I'm I'm not sure that I would exactly put it like that, but certainly Donald Trump was my kind of character. Um, So I... um, I mean, sometimes I think that my overa is to identify the worst, most successful people. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and certainly in Donald Trump, I, 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 may have, I may have reached the zenith. So yes, so he and I, I don't hardly want to say are two peas in a pod, but I think in some way we are matched. Well, I'm, I'm curious about your assessment of Donald Trump because, I mean, in the books, he comes across as... I mean, you say a few times that he's a character like no other and that he comes across as a monster, which I'm sure he is in many ways. But I've heard from other people, and they're not all Trump acolytes, that there's a sort of he has a sweet side and a kind side. Do you not think that's real? I, I think that's probably a, a mischaracterization. He has a charming side and, of course, he has a salesman side. And he can sometimes be quite funny. So that's all not unattractive. I think, however, from almost everybody, uh, that's not stable. Yes. In other words, he may be charming and he may, you know, do a salesman's flattery for you. And he may see, uh, you know, say things that are kind of, I mean, almost um, shocking in their explicitness and preciseness and funny because of that. 
but in your next conversation that 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 very likely all goes away or possibly all all goes away and and in the second or third or fourth it will surely go away well he has a uh, i think he has a talent for self-deprecation at times which perhaps is a sign of a really truly great egotist Yes, but I wouldn't I I wouldn't put too much on that because the opposite is the is 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 the overwhelming impression that you, that you get. I mean, first, a this is a man with zero self awareness. Number one, and 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 number two, nothing ever in any circumstance is his fault. So the self deprecation is 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 again, uh, to say the least, fleeting. Well, and and I thought it's funny. I think I'm sure you've spoken to a lot of people about this. It's funny that he allowed you back. And as you say in the book, that's revealing of his character, that even though you've written these two books that do not show him in a favourable light at all, he's willing to bring you back. And he thinks that his charm is so powerful that, that he'll still be able to turn it, turn things around. There's that. And, and then there is that any attention is good, bad, indifferent. Um, oh, indifferent is bad. Good or bad attention, he'll take it. Well, I want to get on to landslide in a second. Just before we do that, I'd like to talk about this uh, viral thing that you experienced recently with your interview with Brian Stelter, where you sort of, at one point you just sort of, I don't think you lost your temper, but you decided enough was enough. And you said, uh, you're full of sanctimony. Uh, You're the problem. You're to blame to to a CNN anchor. Can you explain to us what was going through your head at that point and what what exactly you were trying to say? Well, um, yeah, Brian Stelter has a show on Sundays about the media, and he has um, set himself up as the as the self styled um, moral voice of journalism. And you know, and and I mean, I have nothing against the guy. He's a very he's a, uh, you know, I've known him for a while. You, t- you told um, him he was but, a nice guy. <laughs> yes, but after a while, that gets a little wearing. You know, it's, it's and so I guess it just it just at that point, having heard this so many times before, I um, it just slipped out. <laughs> uh, you haven't had any follow up with him, is he? I mean, I know he's sort of tweeted more of it, but are you are you now uh, enemies? No, no. I, and curiously, this is, and I'm not necessarily proud of this. This is actually the second time I've done this to him on his show. <laughs> so it's a little like um, you know shooting fish in a barrel. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I don't I don't know what to say about this. He he's um, uh, he does what he does, and I'm I'm sure I'm not the only person who finds it irritating. Yes. Um, at, at that moment when he found me in Amagansett um, and I was sitting in the back of the mobile video truck, as I say, it, it, um, I should have held my tongue, but did not. And do you really believe that journalists like Brian Stills are to blame for Trump? Well, I'm not sure that they're to blame for Trump, although many, you know, obviously the journalism world and the media world has played some part and a rather large part in the rise of of Donald Trump. But I do think that people like Brian and um, among among many other people have set up journalism uh, as, as a religious activity instead of a 
descriptive activity. And, and, and I think that's, I think it's damaging. I mean, I think, I mean, obviously, I mean, I mean we all know that journalists are not a, not a popular class of people and uh, that the form is, for, for any number of, of, of reasons, failing to speak to people, failing to answer many of the questions that they have. And I think that that religious posture that journalists are holier than thou, that journalism as a profession is a holy profession, is, um, puts, up, puts up a wall between us and the audience. Yes, yeah. it should be the opposite. <laughs> well, let's move on to the book. There's a brilliant chapter early on describing election night. And a really interesting bit for me was the bit where you talk about Fox calling Arizona early, which of course was the source of so much bitterness um, among in Trump world. And I think you, at one point you say sort of that the combination of Fox News and Trump was what had was what had taken over America in a way. And there's this story that you have of um, Rupert Murdoch being sort of the, the call went up to Rupert Murdoch and Murdoch said, excuse my language, any delicate listeners, fuck him. And that is, I, I just thought it was interesting coming from you because Murdoch's been someone else you've written about. And that's the, the combination of these two worlds is very revealing about how politics and how power works in America. Yeah, or, or how power doesn't work. Um, <laughs> I think Murdoch remains confused and offended that his level of power, that even given his level of, of, of power and influence in his own backyard, the Republican Party, conservative politics, uh, Donald Trump, a man he considers to be a moron at every level, was able to become the president of the United States. This is um, more than wounding to Murdoch. It's a, you know, it's been a, a quite a catastrophe. I mean, it's riven his his family. I think you can trace this back to the reason he sold off most of the assets of his company because his his children weren't speaking to each other anymore. His plan for a another generation or future generations of a of a family controlled company sort of died with uh, Donald Trump well a lot of the uh once all the networks had called the election finally uh for Biden uh, a lot of Trump world people started saying you know the the media doesn't get to decide this election the american people will but it occurred to me reading this reading your book that actually in some ways the media does decide the election or certainly the way that um calling states works means that they can sort of shape how the election is perceived in in a very important way. You know, to some extent. Remember, that, I mean, there are fifty states, so it's the election results in the U.S. It's a it's a pretty complicated, um, not a monolithic affair mm. um, in any respect. The issue from the Trump point of view was in a close election. If the media starts to call in the state Arizona, it's it's much harder to contest that that state and in other close states you know once once you start to call this again it becomes harder to contest and remember set up florida as the uh, in in 2000 with gore and bush that was the model that they were able to i mean bush was probably able to win florida ultimately because they managed to get the network call uh, rescinded so 
that became a kind of open, I mean, it became an open contest. Now, the, the, that was, you know, a thousand votes, you know, I think it was about a thousand votes were being contested. Now, in the case with Arizona, let's, let's remember, Fox called it early, but Fox called it correctly. Mm. So in an ideal world, again, they, the, the, the Trump people that would not have been called and the Trump people could have, uh, would have been able to contest that, except that it wasn't 1,000 votes. It was 12,000 votes. So that becomes significantly harder to do. And then, you know, so the, elec- the election was on November 3rd. By Saturday, November 7th, uh, the networks had called the election, I mean, called it for Joe Biden, because there was basically no numerical way that Trump could have recovered a victory, even with challenges. So the idea that the media was put its thumb on the scale, you know, in certain instances could happen. That's not what happened here, however. Yeah, yeah. Well, on on that election night, the most farcical of figures in this kind of farcical story that then happens from election night through to, to January is that Rudy Giuliani emerges. And... If I understand it right, Giuliani had sort of, the year before, had sort of been drifting out of Trump world. Uh, there was people around him, around Trump, who didn't like uh, what had happened over Ukraine. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say more exactly he was pushed out of Trump world. Pushed out of Trump world. He pushed his way into Trump world and then was pushed out of Trump world, yes. But he managed to inveigle his way back in, partly perhaps before election night with the Hunter Biden laptop story which he always trying to get his way that's what rudy has has done throughout the course of the administration literally from 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 day one he has struggled to find his way in and in several instances succeeded only to be pushed out again yes and i mean he is another figure you said you were drawn to these these types of people a new york a kind of new york monster who who never really goes away Yeah, no, completely. I mean, I mean, Rudy in itself is another great story. Rudy is, um, you know, beyond the political story, a great human drama, you know, of a, of, of a man who has achieved an enormous amount, dreamed of even more, not gotten it, not being able to accept the fact that he had reached his limits and then was willing to make any kind of bargain necessary to remain in the limelight. And you say in the book that he was drunk on election night, or certainly seemed to be drunk, and was often drunk, and is often drunk, and and was probably not sober while he was conducting a lot of this campaign to stop the election being stolen. Have you had any pushback on that? None whatsoever. It's fairly established, isn't it? Yes. Another element of Giuliani I want to talk about is that he's a lawyer, and you seem to be very interested in the Trump's attitude to lawyers and this idea that uh, Roy Cohn is the sort of heroic figure in his head. Perhaps you could tell listeners who don't know much about that how Trump thinks about lawyers and, and how they serve him. 
Trump has been in litigation for the entirety of his career. Um, I probably should go through the exercise of figuring out if there is anyone who has ever been in litigation more often than Donald Trump. And he has been, you you might say, kind of brilliant at it. He, he's been always played an asymmetrical game, not just not playing by the rules, but not accepting the rules. I think that's... That's probably a better way of, of, of looking at this. You know, it doesn't matter. You know, suing is not necessarily, or litigation is not necessarily about winning or losing. It's about the press you get from the litigation. It's, it's about being able to litigate longer than anyone else is um, able or willing to litigate. And so uh, that's just formed a kind of r- relationship with a set of lawyers, many, many, many lawyers. We're probably in the Trump career. I can't even guess how many lawyers we're talking about having cycled through and often not paying them, which is another kind of sub-theme to Trump and lawyers. But they, they all form a, a piece of his asymmetrical approach to this, finding the lawyer to do his particular bidding, to, do, to play it in the way that he wants to play it, which most lawyers don't want to play it that way, to thinking that whenever everything goes wrong, it's always the fault of the lawyers. Never Trump's fault, never a fault with the underlying case, but always with with the lawyers that he has, who he will then fire and not pay. So he's kind of drafted lawyers into becoming another key piece of the asymmetrical drama of of Trump style litigation. And and, and it end, I mean the Trump presidency ends with this tragic comic situation where Trump is represented by uh, an amazingly shambolic and desperate legal team, including my favourite character in the whole story, which is Bruce Caster. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, no, I mean, so he's, being the, so he's being impeached for the first time in history of President of the United States is, is being impeached for the second time. And it's a consequential moment because the, the stakes are, if you are impeached, you cannot run for president again. And the foundation of his non-presidency is that he will run again and continue to raise enormous amounts of money. It's also for him a, 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 you know, a major financial issue. Were he to be convicted, impeached and convicted, that would be it. But he shows up for this, this impeachment with a, with a team of lawyers, none of whom he has ever met. First thing, the lawyers who represented him in uh, the White House and the lawyers who represented him for his first impeachment, none of them will participate in, in this. So therefore, he's had to go out and find new lawyers, none of whom he knows, some of whom he has never spoken to, uh, few who have any, um, I mean, at least one doesn't have a law firm. It's, it's, just, it's just him. He doesn't even have a secretary. Uh, the other has just joined a new law firm recently, within the you know, 60 days before this impeachment, and it's a personal injury law firm. So it's nothing, nothing to do with actually you know, a, a very complicated new role in the federal government and before, um, uh, and, and, and before the United States Senate. So nobody has any practical experience here. On top of that, they don't really know each other. And on top of that, they're completely unprepared for what they have to do. And before we, we get to the, the last legal bit, there is this, um, the conspiracy phase, if you like, the attempt to establish that the election was stolen, led by Giuliani. And I just wonder, do you 
have any sympathy to the probably millions of Americans who do believe that the election was stolen? Can you see why they think that it was? Well, I, I, the only reason they can think that, that, that it was is because Donald Trump told them so. I mean, there's no other basis on which to think this. You know, on, on any, by any empirical measure, there is no question. Well, I suppose... You know, in, in, in one of the things, you, you know, in one of the, 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 the threads through this book is understanding that by, that by Saturday the 7th, after the, the election, there was no one in the White House in the campaign, in his own family, who believed that A, he had won the election, or B, anything he might do could change the outcome of, of, of the election. So this was all, this, the idea that this election was stolen exists in only one man's mind, or if you add Rudy here, the minds of two men. Everybody else is... Um, is either out of the picture, I mean, all other Trump people are out of the picture, I mean, literally leaving the White House, or are just a, a collection of, of ragtag opportunists. But I suppose if you, if you go back to 2016 and you look at the way that the Democratic establishment, for want of a better word, handled Trump's election and their attempt to negate it, there was Russiagate, which, you know, Whatever, whatever you want to think about that, it didn't add up to what was being claimed at first. And you can see from a Trump voter perspective, you can see why they might think, oh, these guys will do anything to stop him. So they might well be more inclined to believe a conspiracy theory. Well, yeah, I mean, they believe Trump's conspiracy theory. This is yeah. what Trump says. They tried to get me with Russiagate. And I mean, I mean, so this all the stolen election becomes just a metaphor, essentially a metaphor for Trump in that people, I have political enemies who are trying to get me out of office. You know, obviously many, many, many presidents have political enemies who are trying to get them out, out of office. But that conflates with the election, which, as I say, on any empirical basis, he lost. He just didn't have enough votes. Yes. Um, and, you know, another thing which he could not accept, and, and when you spend time with Trump, you know, the math just moves in these kind of weird waves of all in an effort to um, to say that he really won the election, even though, even though on a just on a on a numbers basis, he did not. What you put it down to is what you put Biden's victory down to, because Trump's vote did grow is the turnout of uh, increased turnout of low propensity voters who uh, probably wouldn't have voted if there hadn't been for the pandemic and the changing of the system. So you can see... Yes, but l let me just add that that, that that also benefited Trump. So Trump got 10 million more votes than he did in 2016. I mean, that was a, which becomes a Trumpian thing. How could I have lost if I've gotten 10 million more votes than I did in 2016? Well, the answer is that Biden got 20 million more votes than Hillary Clinton. And, and anyway, but, but yes, I mean, this was the unique factor of this, one of the unique factors of this, of this election was, was a vastly increased turnout due to two things, due to the emotions of the election and then due to uh, mail-in voting. Well, there's another thread of conspiracy theories and sort of suspicion around what happened on January 6th and the, the, the storming of the Capitol. 
And in Trump world now, it's becoming quite commonplace to hear people say that the FBI organized it. Are you sort of across these conspiracy theories? Have you have you been keeping an eye on them? Yeah, I mean, this is just, you know, bo- this is meaningless and bogus. I mean, meaningless, I guess, if people believe it, it is. Um, but from a factual standpoint, yeah, it's certainly it's certainly not true. And I was wondering what you think about Mike Pence, because Mike Pence obviously becomes a sort of traitor figure in Trump world for having uh, for, for refusing to to buckle to under Trump's immense pressure to to make him uh, send the the election results back. And I was wondering whether you thought that Pence just saw which way the wind was blowing, or do you see him as a moral figure in the end, even though he had been obviously something of a, a, a lapdog or a suck-up towards Trump up until that point? I, 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 I just don't think uh, Pence had any option. So it's not right. I, don't, I, I can't even read if he's a moral figure here. It's, it's, it's just was impossible. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't as if there was a choice for Mike Pence to make. Yeah. Um, Trump got it into his head, you know, partly because of Ru- Drunk and Rudy, partly because they got a, uh, you know, a constitutional scholar scholar in, in on this by the name of John, John Eastman, who gave advice that he then turned around and said, well, I don't believe that. So it was, again, another kind of wackadoo dimension here, um, that there was no basis, no basis literally anywhere for the claim that Mike Pence could essentially unilaterally throw out electoral votes. And the Pence people were, uh, you know, I mean, uh, you know, I suppose they would have, they would have done almost anything except the impossible to please Donald Trump, but this was impossible. Do you think, I know that he's, uh, he's planning, preparing a, a campaign for the next presidential election. Do you think he'll be um, seen as too much of a traitor ever to recover on the American right? Uh, you, you know, I think that there's a world with Donald Trump and a world without Donald Trump. And if Donald Trump drops dead tomorrow, which he certainly could, then the Republican world is is transformed and, and we don't know what that that will be. I think in a world with Donald Trump, it's very hard for Mike Pence to run, and I don't really think that he will run, because if only to prevent him from being president, Donald Trump would run. Now, I think he will run for other reasons, too, but, but the idea that Donald Trump would let Mike Pence be president, in fact, the idea that Donald Trump would let any other Republican be president while he still stands is um, nearly unimaginable. So do you think then you'll be writing another Trump book in in four years' time? Well, you know, I can only pray to God that I will not be doing that. But but that was how I felt after the first book and after the second book. So um, here we are after the third book. It's your fate will draw you back. Uh, It's, you know, somehow I begin to think that I own Donald Trump. He is my character. Um, Well, that, that would be a good place to end it. But I would like to ask you one last bit about uh, Mar-a-Lago, the atmosphere there. There's this very funny ending of the book. Uh, I won't give away too much, but but sort of of you talking to Trump and him sort of in, him breaking breaking away to do his his schmoozing and playing this this role of of sort of the king, the king in Florida. I, I thought it was very odd that you compared him to Rick in the film Casablanca. Tell us why that comparison came to mind. Um, you know, here he's in this place, Mar-a-Lago. It's it's all his. He's the owner. 
uh, you know, he sets the tone, he, um, you know, greets the people, he um, forgives the debts, he, um, um, what, whatever. So I think that's one way you can see him, and I think it's one way that the people, uh, the members of Mar-a-Lago see him. He's the, the charismatic owner of, uh, of the club that they, that they belong to. You know, I also compared him to, you know, to, you know, to Frank Sinatra at the Sands in Las Vegas, and uh, or Jack Dempsey at Jack Dempsey's bar in Times Square. Yeah. Um, you know, he's very much, you know, this is, a, he, he, he's the, he's, he's the, you know, the, the guy at the bar. And um, if you want to drink, you got to go through Donald Trump. And is it that he's such a extraordinary and strange character that he, he is almost fictional. He still feels fictional because he's, he lives in his own reality so much. He, he tries to shape the world to his reality so effectively at times. No, no, very much. That's why I've come to sort of feel he's, he's, he's my character. I feel like in some sense I'm writing Donald Trump rather than, necess- than just writing about him. I mean, and that's what people have, have accused me of, of making up Donald Trump or making up aspects of, of Donald Trump. But, you know, I think in the end, my portrait of Donald Trump is, is the, um, certainly it's the most vivid one. And I think it's the most, it's the, it's, it's the most accurate one. And that kind of comes by this weird thing of, of um, him being in, in my head and maybe a little of me being in his head. <laughs> well, the truth is you couldn't make it up. Um, so thank you very much, Michael, for joining us. Uh, I hope you'll join us again at some point. I, I hope not after the next book. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I will not hold you to that. Thank you very much for listening to that episode of Americano. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe. And if you really enjoyed it, please leave us a star rating, preferably five stars, and a review. 